All right. Welcome, everybody. Sunday service. Good to have you. Uh, happy Labor Day weekend. Hope you guys are planning to sit real still because it is hot. It is so hot. I, uh, I tried to tell a, a meme joke in the VM service today. I don't think they got it. I think they took it really seriously. The meme was, um, uh, I can barely stand this heat wave. I don't think I can make it very long in hell. Right? I should rethink my life choices. That was, the, that was the joke I was trying to say, but I think their faces thought I was talking about someone really real. And they were like, who is this child? Who is he? Right? Uh, hey, I got a good word for you guys today. And I pray that the Lord will speak into your heart. Uh, this afternoon, all right? We are, uh, we are in a series called Dare to Draw Near to God. Dare to Draw Near to God. It is a series designed to show you that your life will undergo real transformation, not just outward appearance, not, but real inward transformation if you would dare to draw near to God. Because We've learned so far that when you dare to draw near to God, what happens is you will face trials. He will bring trials into your life because why? Because it is through the trials that gives you the ability to actually transform. The Bible says, consider pure joy when we face trials of every kind. God will save you, but he will never leave you as you are. So he brings trials into your life to take you deeper in your relationship with him. So don't so when you, when, you, when you begin to have this desire to draw near to God, don't be surprised that trials come with it. Embrace it. Learn from it. Grow from it. Get deeper with the Lord. We've also learned that when you begin to draw near to God, you will face suffering. Right? Suffering will come. Suffering is not from God. God does not desire suffering to happen. But suffering happens oftentimes to test us. Oftentimes to get us to ask the real question, it's the litmus test of the authenticity of your relationship with God. Suffering really pulls it out. See, when you decide to draw near to God and all of a sudden suffering happens, either you run or you stay and you endure and you grow deeper. See, when you dare to draw near to God, suffering will come. But it can either strengthen you or break you. When you dare draw near to God, we also know that your faith will be put to the test. See, what you proclaim you believe with your mouth, it's going to have to see if you actually live it out in your life. It's not just outward talk. It's not just taking on the appearance of Christianity. But your faith will actually be tested. Will you actually do what you say you believe? And last week we heard from our brother Kevin Jung that when you dare draw near to God, you will be mastered by him. He demands complete devotion from you. No one else can claim you. No one else has authority over you. You will be mastered by him. All right? And so today I want to share with you, to take one step further in this journey of drawing near to God, today I want to share with you that when you dare to draw near to God, your pride will be revealed. Okay, church? When you, when you have the willingness to draw near to God, all of a sudden your pride will be put on check. Your pride will be brought before you. Your pride will be something you're going to have to really deal with. You know, there's a, there's a, in the story of the Titanic that sunk in 1912, it's still a story that, we, that, that, that captivates people today. It's a story that, that uh, captures the imagination. It, 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 it brings people, it, it, uh, it, it helps people to kind of come back to it over and over. But why is that? And the reason is not because the boat got hit by an iceberg, right? 
The story of the Titanic is more than just a boat being hit by an iceberg. The story of the Titanic that, that, that still captivates people is because the true culprit behind the sinking of the Titanic was actually the state of mind of the men at that time. There was an arrogance about them. There was a pride in which they had. The beginning of the 21st century, 20th century was a time of innovation, progress, and advancement. The people believed nothing can stop them. Science and technology was growing at an exponential rate. And the crown jewel of their achievement was the building of the Titanic. They believed what? It was quoted that they said that this, God himself cannot sink this ship. It is the arrogance of men that begins to be revealed as you draw near to God. My prayer today is that you recognize that most of the time pride dictates you in your life in a way that you don't even realize is happening. But as you listen to God's word today, as we learn from, from the biblical story of Elijah, I hope that God shows you the pride that's within, that you would do the hard work of seeking humility and transformation. Because either you can live with your pride or you can be transformed by God. So open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 through 18. Let me read this for you. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 through 18. Listen now for the word of God. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 through 18. Also, you know, when the, when the QR code comes up, if you guys want to follow along, the message is all up there. I, I put out the outline for you guys, so that way you can know where we're at. Um, so when we fall asleep, you can come back into it, just so we know where it is. Verse 9, there he went into a cave, this is Elijah, and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram, modern-day Syria. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death anyone who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouth have not kissed him. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, I come before you today. Lord, I confess to you that oftentimes the circumstances around us causes us to not focus and lose sight of you. I pray that today, Lord God, this afternoon as we come before your word, that we would be in reverence of it. Holy God, would you speak to us, unworthy as we are to listen. 
Would you use me, your servant, Father, for definitely I am unworthy to speak it in every possible way. I ask, oh God, that you would use this moment to come and speak to your people. It is your word, your life-giving word, your life-transforming word. Oh Lord, wake us up from our slumber. Transform us this day. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you dare to draw near to God, your pride will be revealed. The first thing that we see in verse 9 to 10. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah was running away. He was hiding. He was done with his life. He was depressed. He lost all will to live. He didn't want to continue his job anymore. This is what he said. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I've worked hard for you, Lord. I fought the good fight. I've done everything you've asked. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. Your own people, whom you've called me to serve, they've rejected you. They don't want you. They've broken down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. First point I want to share with you guys today about pride is this. Pride keeps us from seeing the true problem of the world. Pride keeps us from seeing the true issue that goes on in this world. See, Elijah, you know what Elijah did? Elijah, one of the stories of Elijah was one of the most beautiful stories, the most marvelous stories in Scripture. It's one of the moments that, that, that God showed up in such a miraculous and powerful way, right? Elijah challenged the evil king Ahab at that time to a battle. Ahab decided to marry a woman. Her name was Jezebel. And she wasn't just a queen who believed in God. She was somebody who said, I'm not only going to believe in God, I'm going to bring all of the priests, the prophets, I'm going to set up the institutions of the worship of Baal in this new place that I'm coming to. And because what she did, she, she saturated Israel with the worship of another god. And Elijah was called to correct this issue. Elijah was called to fix this problem. And Elijah had the audacity to show up to Ahab and says, I'll duel you. You bring all your prophets together, gather all your people, let's meet up at Mount Carmel, me and them. Whoever God answers by fire, answers, will be the true God. Deal? Ahab said, deal. So they gather up. It's, it's, like, it's, it's like almost like, imagine meeting at the front lawn of the White House. Everyone is there, all eyes on this moment here. And the priests of Baals, they, they started building this altar, and they start crying out to their God, whipping their body. The blood is just dripping over and over, and they're crying out to God to answer them. They're crying out to their God, answer us, answer us, forgive us, have mercy on us, answer us. And day in, for, for the whole entire day, the first morning, they just kept crying, but nothing happened. And Elijah, Elijah is one of those, um, he's, a little, he's a little arrogant. He's a little arrogant, he's a little, little boastful. You know, he said, hey, scream louder. I don't think he heard you, right? He, he's trolling them while they were, while they were um, he's, he's, I think he's the original troll, right? He, he was trolling them while they were doing their thing. He says, hey, where's your God? Oh, he must be on the bathroom, right? Scream louder, he can't hear you. And so the way they do, they start screaming louder and louder, and he gave them the whole entire day. He let them scream from morning, sunrise to sunset. And then finally nothing happened. And he shows up. He walks up and he says, built the altar. Set up 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he said something crazy. He says, pour water on it. 
And they start pouring water. He says, pour more water on it. They start pouring more water. And he says, pour more water on it. Because I want you to know that this is not some natural, spontaneous combustion that's about to happen. I want you to know, if there's ever any doubt, that the Lord of Israel, Yahweh, will answer this day. So they made the altar. The, the, the water was so, it was so much water, it was seeping out. It was dripping down from the altar. It, was, it created a trench around them. And Elijah bowed his knees. And he says, oh, Lord, our God, answer. And fire, the Bible says, consumed from the bottom up and the top down. And it, it was such a powerful fire that everyone just stepped back. And it was, it was like it almost singed their eyebrows. The Bible says they all bowed their heads. They cried, the Lord, the Lord God, Yahweh is the true God. And Elijah got up and he says, all who are faithful to God now, go and kill the priests of Baal. And they struck them all down, all 400 priests. And the king Ahab, who was watching at the time, he realized he's in trouble. He gets into his chariot and he drives back to his, king, uh, his, uh, his palace in Jezreel. And Elijah felt like, this is it. Finally, we're going to make some changes. Everything's going to work out. Things are going to work out. I did the program. I made the mark. I've done what I'm supposed to do. It's going to change. And so he runs after Ahab. And as he got halfway there, a messenger with a note comes from Queen Jezebel. And he's thinking, oh, man, that's it. She's about to say, I'm sorry. Forgive us. Don't punish us. He opens the letter and he reads what? Let it be, ever be so severe for me, if not this day, tomorrow, I will kill you. And he realized what? All of that, all that miraculous signs, all of that heaven and fire, all of that miracle left and it changed nothing. It changed nothing. You know why? And, and, then he, and he fell into depression. He basically ran away. He gave up his, uh, his, his servant because he's thinking, I'm not going to work anymore. This is not working. And he just said, I'm just going to lie down and die. The problem with Elijah was this. Do you know why he just kind of gave up? Why when his program didn't work out, when his idea of what should be done, we thought, this is it. This is going to change everything. When it didn't change everything and he just gave up, you know why? Because he could not see the real problem. He thought that he can fix the problem by doing it this way. That this is the method. This is the plan. This is the system. This is the way to do it. He thought, I can fix it. If this is done the correct way, everything will work out. But he did not take into consideration the bigger problem. You know what the bigger problem is? Humans are broken. There's a deep evil that happens within the human heart. The problem is that sin is real. Sin is real. Elijah's pride made it so he couldn't understand the deeper problem of people. We're all innately sinners. His issue was, my way couldn't fix it. My plan didn't work out. Well, I thought it would, I thought it would work. This is going to bring everything. This is going to bring change. There was, he did not realize that the reality of human beings is that we're innately broken. We do not want God. Do you guys realize that? That's, that's what being a sinner means. That's what sin means. Sin means that you miss the mark of God and you do not want God. It's not that you, you, you desire. There's, no, there's nothing in your heart that says, I want God so much. 
innately, hum- the Bible says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is nothing in our hearts that says, I want him. And here's the thing here. If you believe that the real problem out there is, it, is that my program is being, isn't being followed. If you think to yourself, look at the world around you. If you're thinking to yourself, the real issue that's happening in this country, the real issue that's happening in my home, the real issue that's happening with my friends is that they're not following my program. They're not following the prescribed way of fixing the issue. See, if you, if you think that a program or a system or a way of thinking is going to fix the program, then you have missed the bigger problem. The bigger problem is that people do not want God. And they do not want what God has to offer. That there is a depth of sin in people's heart. And, you will, and when you have that mentality, you will assume that the real problem out there, when, when, when your way doesn't work, when your way is not ha- helping, you're going to assume what? The problem is who? The other side. The, other, the problem is with the other people. If they would just adopt my plan, they would just adopt my thinking, if they would just adopt the way I focus, then everything would be right. And so you demonize the other side. As a believer, you begin to look upon them, you look down upon them. And instead, of thinking the way God's called us to think, you demonize the other. Let me give you an example of what I mean here. If you are a conservative, and some of you are, and you understand sin, a Christian who understands sin, you must recognize, or you must not demonize those who are called themselves liberals. Because the problem with the world is not liberal policies. The problem with the world is what? Sin. Is the depravity of the human heart. Now, if you are a liberal, and some of you are, and you're a Christian who understands sin, you must not demonize the conservatives because you will know that the real problem with the world is not conservative policies. It's what? It's sin. Is it the depravity of the human heart? If you cannot grasp that, the real, the real underlying problem of the world is sin. No matter what side of the aisle you stand, a sinner creating policies will still create a sinful world. You follow me? A sinner creating any type of policy will still eventually create a sinful world. And if you cannot grasp it, if, if your mind says, like, well, well, but it's the best we got, right? If you're saying uh, it is the best, it's not, at least my way is not as bad as their way. If you have that mindset, then you have not grasped if you have not grasped the idea of how bad you really are. Because you're thinking, what, you're not that bad. Whether you run to hell slow or you run to hell fast, you're still running to hell. Jesus Jesus Christ, he died on the cross for who? His enemies. He died on the cross for his enemies. And so all of a sudden, for which you are one of them, by the way, we don't remember the word of God, How prideful must you be to believe that somehow you are better than the one you view as an enemy? That your way of thinking is not as bad as theirs. You forget you are a sinner in need of salvation just as much as anybody else. You 
You are no better and you are no worse than the ones you demonize across the aisle. See, the problem, the problem that we see here, when you draw near to God, your pride will be revealed. And you know what the pride is? The pride that you have going into this relationship with God is that you believe in your heart that if things were done this way, everything will work out. Christians, we don't have that mentality. You guys know that? On this side of heaven, the only time everything's going to work out is when Jesus Christ comes back. We, we are no fools to believe that somehow we're going to bring utopia to this earth. We're not living in some sort of daydream that somehow with the right enactment of certain policies that everything's going to work out right for us because people, the real problem of people is what? Sin. It is not the policies. It is the sinfulness of the human heart. Let's take it one step closer to home. Have you ever found that you've invested in somebody? Family member? Friend? Salt? And it seems like it's going so well, and then what happens? They fall. They fall back. And you get angry. You get worked up. You get upset. And you can't for the life of you fathom why. You keep telling them, just do what I tell you. Just follow the procedure. Just do this and everything will work out when you, when you talk like that. When you have this arrogance and this pride when you approach it like that. You know what happens? You forget that they are what? Sinners. That there is a brokenness about them. They are a sinner in need of salvation. Your pride makes you think that your program will do the trick. Your pride makes you think that your way of approaching it will fix it. When the reality is, they are sinners in need of salvation. One of the greatest signs that you've drawn near to God is that your pride is revealed. And you recognize it. You recognize that the real cause of issues in the world is not about whether someone follows a certain program or not. The real issue in the world is that there is real sin, real depravity, real selfishness. Real self-centeredness. People desiring their own wills and wants. And you approach it with a humility that comes from Christ. See, when you dare to draw near to God, you remember that what? Christ died on the cross for his, who? Enemies. He died on the cross for his enemies. And here you are demonizing them. What arrogance. What pride. But here's the second thing. When you dare to draw near to God, your pride will be revealed. But here's something about your pride. Your pride keeps you from seeing the problem within yourself. Look at verse 14 and 18. I'll go back to the other verses. But verse 14 and 18 says this. He comes out. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of, over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death anyone who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouth have not kissed them. See, pride keeps us from seeing the real problems in the world, which is what? It is sin. That is the real issue that we need to deal with, not creating some sort of 
program to fix things. It is the issue of sin, which means that the only solution is a savior. But the pride also does this. It keeps us from seeing the problem within yourself. Elijah thought that what? I'm the only one left. He thought that he was the only one doing the right work. Everybody else was doing something wrong. All your people have rejected your covenant. All your people have broken down your altars. They're trying to kill, they killed all your prophets, and now they're trying to kill me too. I'm the only one left. He thought what? He thought he was the only one that got it together. He thought he was the only one that could make the things right. Right? How much time we think like that? You're a married couple. We, we're the only like normal couple in this church. Everyone else is kind of weird. Right? If you're single, right? Well, I'm the only one that got it together. You know, everyone, all the other singles are kind of like all behind. Right? You think I'm, I'm probably doing the right thing. Everyone else is probably messed up. But what did God tell Elijah in his arrogance, in his pride? What did he say? Yo, man, there's still 7,000 that has not bowed the knee. You think you're the only one? Like, what arrogance is that? How foolish is that? You think your program, that's it? That's, everyone else is screwed up, but you somehow are awesome? There are 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee or kissed. Baal. His personal pride led him to not see what God is still doing in the world. Sometimes our pride narrows our focus so that we cannot see how God uses so many other people. What, 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 did, what did God tell him? He said, go and anoint a Gentile king. Elijah, Elijah, there was no indication that this king was a believer, by the way. The king of Aram, which is modern-day Syria. There was no indication that he was a believer. There's no indication that he came to faith. But God says, go anoint him. You know, Elijah was so arrogant, he didn't even do it. He let, his, uh, he let the next one do it, Elisha do it. Elijah was like, I'm not going to do it. You know why? Because he was like, how can God really use a non-Jewish king? The God of the world, the God of Israel is telling me that he's going to use a non-Jewish king to do the work? I don't believe it. No possible way. You know what God was trying to teach Elijah? I'm in charge, not you. I am using who I want to use. I am using people that you don't think conforms to your way of thinking. Think about this. Our pride leads us to believe that we are the only ones doing the right work sometimes. We're not the only church out there. You're not the only married couple out there. You're not the only successful single out there. The only ones, we believe that we are the only ones to have it together. So what happens? Therefore, because our pride thinks like that. Therefore, God can't possibly work through this president. God doesn't do that kind of stuff. Says who? I'm in charge, not you. What arrogance do you have to tell me who I use and who I don't use? What arrogance do you have to tell me who I will call and who I will not call? Therefore, God can't possibly work through these new pastors, right, who don't even dress correctly, right? What arrogance is that? That was for your parents, by the way. <laughs> they were laughing, right? See, we think that God can only use certain people, certain ways. But our God, our God, 
the lesson that he was teaching Elijah about his pride is the same lesson he's teaching us about our pride. You're not in charge. I'm in charge. I'm using who I want to use. I'm using people that you don't find appropriate or conforms to your ways. You know why? Because my grace is so much more than yours. Actually, if you keep thinking like that, you forgot that I saved you. You were the lost cause. People will look at you back in the day and they'll think, no way, no way will I will ever use a person like that. No way will God ever use a person like that. And yet he saved you. And yet you have the audacity, the arrogance, and the pride to believe that only you can be used or a certain way of being used is the right way. Oh, God can do many things, guys. Do not put your God in the box. One of the greatest signs that you draw, that you draw near to God is that your pride is revealed. And you recognize for what it is. You recognize that God works through others. His grace is that much bigger. Do you see that? I hope so. I hope that your heart, your mind, your soul is not so conformed and so narrow that you cannot see that God can use the homeless prostitute off the street. I hope that your mind and your heart and your spirit is so not so narrow that, that you can't possibly see that God can use that gangbanger who's lost his mind. God can do amazing things. Yesterday, one of my friends had his revival service up in LA, East LA. It was such a beautiful picture. You know why? The very same gang that he used to shoot out with, one of the brothers came to Christ at his church. It's crazy. The same gang that he used to fight with on the streets bowed down and confessed to the Lord his need for salvation. Enemies becoming friends, brothers in arms, actually. And how many of us would have looked at that and said, God can never use that? When you dare to draw near to God, your pride will be revealed. I hope that you see your pride. I hope that you see it. I hope that you, that you see that the real issue in the world is not about creating some sort of man-made, manufactured way of trying to fix the world. When we know the real issue in the world is that there is sin and that the Savior is what they need. I hope that your pride, that you're, that you're humble enough to recognize that God can work through anyone, not just the ones that you think fits a certain mold or shape or form or way. But here's the third thing. Pride keeps us from listening to his word. 11 to 13. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by then the great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled out his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice, the word said to him, what are you doing here? See, Elijah was expecting God to be in the miracle, the, the, the miracle and in the flashy. He was expecting God to show up in 
the big way. Lightning and thunder show something amazing. All right? And what did we learn? That God consumed an altar from the, from the bottom and from the top, and yet hearts still was not changed. Because the wind, the earthquake, the fire, these big things are not what changes people. The big signs are not what changes people. The, 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 the lightning and thunder, the bells and whistles, that's not what changes people. What changes people? What stirs them to move? It is the word. It is the voice of God. It is his voice speaking to you. But Elijah, he couldn't, he couldn't grasp that. God can't possibly be found <coughs> in the whisper. God can't possibly be found in such a quiet place. God can't possibly show up in such a way. But he did. And that's exactly what God has found. Our pride, our pride wants to search for God in a flashy way. Our pride wants to look for the miraculous ways and not in the word. We think that if God heals me, things will be great. Then I'll believe. How many times have God answered your prayers? Honestly, right? How many times have you actually prayed a prayer and he answered the prayer and your, your relationship to God was not even deeper? Just the same. So, eh. He showed up in a way where he spoke into your life. He did something and yet unchanged, unfazed. Because why? It is not the flash that, 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 that changes you. And, and I know that our pride tells us, I can't possibly, God, I can't possibly find God just by reading a book. I'll find God if I serve more. I'll find God if I go to enough retreats. I'll find God if I put on more programs and see more people blessed. I'll find God if I experience him again and again and earn these, you know, supernatural, charismatic way. That's how I'll find God. But the lesson here is, Pride tells you, you don't need to read this. Pride tells you, what can this do? And you overlook it. You skim it. You don't even open it. And yet this is where you find God. In the whisper of the word. In the voice. <coughs> Look what happened in Mount Carmel. God showed up in the most miraculous way. And yet Jezebel still did not believe. The big things don't change, you guys. It is the simple word of God that does it. You don't think, you have this pride to believe. Thank you. Oh, man. You have this pride to say that God can't possibly show up in the word. Yet it is the same word. It's the same word that created hospitals for those in need. So many years ago. It is the word when people read it and they say, you know what? I need to care for those who are sick and dying, even if it cost me my own life. It was this word that brought forth real hospitals. It was the same word that did what? That stopped the shadow slavery that was going on in the 18th century. That men 
are actually, and women are actually made in the image of God. It was the same word that led people to fight for that cause to the very end. It's the same word that led Martin Luther King Jr. to walk through the hills of the streets of Alabama, fighting for the civil rights of black, whites, Asian, Jew, anyone. It is the same word that moved the hearts of people. And yet we have the pride to say, God can't speak through this word. God can't change me through this word. God can't show up through the word. Your pride keeps you from listening to the word. <coughs> and so what do you do? You sit and you wait for the next big thing. You sit and you wait for the next big shock and awe, the next big thunder and lightning, the next big bells and whistles. So now surely I believe, and you know, for a time, you get a little motivated, you get a little touch in your heart, and still what happens? You revert back. Because it's not the big things that changes the heart. It is the word of God that changes hearts. You guys follow? Our hope should not be in the waiting for big miracles to fix our problems, but rather hope should be in the word of God to change our lives. Let me tell you a story. <clears throat> a few weeks back, there was this lady who was trying to sell me something. And um, she was so persistent. I kept saying no, but she was so persistent. She showed up. She bought flowers to the house. that Eventually, I said, fine, I'll, I'll sit down with the meeting for you. I sat down, and, you know, she was going through her stuff. She asked me, hey, so what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. And she said, wow, you know what? Crazy story. You're the second pastor I've met within the span of two months. I'm like, cool, right? You know? But I, I was thinking, you know, sometimes they, they try to relate, so they try to sell you something, right? But she said, no, no, I, I got to tell you the story. I'm like, okay, tell me. So she stopped trying to pitch me the whatever she was selling, and she, she told me a story. The story was like this. The first time I met this first pastor, I was, my father was uh, dying of uh, kidney uh, failure in Brazil. So I got on the plane. I was going to go see him for the last time. I got on the plane. It was a fully booked plane. And as I was walking, I was already annoyed because the prices of the plane were so high and things were so expensive. But, you know, I wanted to see my dad for the last time. So I got into the plane, and this dude was sitting in my seat. So I, said, I, I you know, try not to be angry. So I said, hey, sir, you're in my seat. The guy was like, oh. You know, I was confused. He said, no problem. He scooted over to the window seat, sat down. He said, you know what? We should pray that no one sits in the middle. So that way, you know, we can have elbow room and stuff like that. And, and she's like, what? And then all of a sudden, he bowed his head and started praying. And she was just, okay. She put her stuff down. And she was just sitting there. She was watching him. Right? It was a book. It was a fully booked plane. But for some reason, that day, that seat was empty. And so she was kind of like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So she asked him, he said, what do you do? And he said, I'm a pastor. She's like, oh, what are you doing? So I'm going to Brazil. There's going, to, there's going to be this uh, 3,000 pastoral march <coughs> carrying the cross across Brazil. He's like, wow, that's crazy. That's amazing. And so they got to conversing more and more. And eventually she ended up telling him about her father who was dying of kidney failure. And he said, what's your father's name? Give it to me. 12 o'clock tomorrow, I will ask the 3,000 pastors to pray for your father. And she was like, okay. Um, she didn't really believe in God. She, kind of, she was more like into like everything is God, you know, like sun, moon, stars, everything was like that. She was, so she didn't really like believe in something specific. And so she, and he, he told her, I will pray to the Lord Jesus Christ for your father. And you know, for some reason she's like, you know what, I can, I can, I, I'll use any prayer I can get. And that was it. She didn't see, she couldn't find him again. She tried to find him on Instagram, but this is what happens. She comes home to her father. She sees him frail on the bed, uh, dehydrated, right? Looks like he's about to die, okay? Then next day, miracle happened. 
She said, I, I, I'm not even lying to you. He got up. He started walking. I thought maybe he was just happy to see me, so he's just got the extra energy. But then next day, he got better. Next day, he got better, and he started eating. Next day, he got better. And now, I left, when I left him, he was driving his car, right? He's, he wasn't dying. And I was like, wow. But the whole time I was thinking to myself, I was like, God, like, you gave this pastor a miracle. Like, what, what am I, I going to do to her, right? What, <laughs> what, what am I going to give her? You know, like, this is, this is kind of left me hang, hanging um, all dry here, Lord, right? And then she was like, yeah, man. So I was like, I just want to let you know that that was an amazing story. And I'm just, I'm, now I'm just, like, I'm, just, I'm just so um, in all of it. I'm like, so I was just saying there, and, and, and right before she was about to give a pitch, I said, hey, uh, can I ask you a question? I should kind of tell you something. She's like, what? So, <clears throat> that miracle wasn't for your father. And she said, what do you mean? That miracle was for you. I says, what do you mean? I said, I think God is really pursuing you at this moment. Like, I think there are, there are times in everyone's life, moments in time, pockets of time, that God truly pursues them, really comes after them. I think this is your pocket. I think that God is pursuing you and is trying to get your attention. He said, well, you got it? I said, but do you know who he is? She says, not really. I was like, I know, right? Can I ask you one thing? Okay, and then you can pitch whatever you want to pitch. All I'm asking is that you open your Bible and you read. Just read the word. He wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to communicate to you. He's pursuing you. Just open the Bible and start reading it. And you will hear his voice, I promise. And then she stopped. Right? She just like looked at me and she's like, can I tell you something crazier? She's like, the crazier than the miracle? She's like, crazier. Right? Well, just as crazy. I had a client right before I met with you. She's like, okay. Before I left, they gave me a gift. Guess what it was? I'm like, a Bible? A Bible! Right? I'm like, get out of here. Right? I was like, yes, you know, like second row, you know. So I was, and I told her, and I remember I, I told her this. I told her, that's too many coincidences, right? I mean, that's, that's, I mean, if you believe it, that's just a little bit too many coincidences. Second pastor you met within two months. And the right guy who told you, and, and, and when, right when I told you that you needed the word, he gave it to you before you even heard it. I said, yeah, Crazy. So I ended up just praying for it, and she didn't end up selling me anything, so we just went home, right? right? But here's the thing, guys. We, we, we get so prideful in our own intellect that we don't think that the Word of God can actually do any changes in our lives, right? We're so prideful that we think that, you know, I'm smart enough. I have a degree. I have a couple letters after my name, right? My bank account has at least six zeros. Right? Five, maybe. Four, for some of you. Right? Hopefully more. Someday. But you think, but at least you think to yourself, I can get there though. So I don't really need to open this word. I don't need this word to change my life. And our pride and our arrogance thinks to ourselves, I'll just show up with, to God on Sunday. Maybe something nice will happen. Whereas the whole time he's saying, open the word and you will meet me. You will meet me if you read it. When you dare to draw near to God, 
your pride will be revealed. It will reveal to you that the real problem is sin. So stop being so narrow in the way you approach the world. When you dare to join near to God, you will, re- you will know that you're not the only one that God is working through. God can do so many things with other people. You're not the only one. Stop being so prideful to think that you are arrogantly God's gift to mankind. When you dare to draw near to God, you will recognize the pride have oftentimes taught you, I don't need to read the word of God anymore. It's too archaic. It's too backwards. Too odd. God can't possibly be speaking through this now. And yet, this is the very thing that has changed the world for the past 2,000 years. It is this word. Granted, people have used it in very broken ways. But when the word of God is preached, when the word of God is adhered to, when the word of God is read, listened, saturated, and taken in, then transformation happens. People are changed. People are changed. So my prayer for you is this. Oh, that you would stop with your prideful arrogance and seek humility before God. Humble yourself before him. Let him transform your heart this day. Let's pray.